0: This is The Future of Finance by Motive Labs.
1: Hello, welcome to The Future of Finance, the Motive Labs podcast where we live and breathe the next generation of financial technology. Welcome back. I'm joined today by Guy Harrington, founder and CEO of Glen Hawk. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So, and largely for my benefit, not just our listeners, tell us a little bit about your journey and what Glen Hawk does. So, Glen Hawk is a non bank
0: lender specializing in uh, the real estate sector, mainly short term finance to uh, developers and investors in the United Kingdom. We started at the end of 2017 Mm -hmm. with the backing of the founder of Rightmove, a gentleman called Harry Hill, and some private equity investment. We've grown the business now over the last 18 months to having lent $60 in the last year to uh, private investors in the United Kingdom, and along that journey, taken on a funding line from uh, one of the largest asset managers in the world, and continue to expand our real estate offering across the mortgage market as we grow this year
1: and perhaps you could describe the usp what's your value proposition to those that you're lending to so
0: in our market it's been many years seen as quite um i wouldn't say sharky but a little bit intimidating because the lenders in it usually they've sold a business they want to get double digit returns on their their money instead of going into buy to let they'll deploy it through this sector So they've inherently put a lot of fees onto people, loaded them up with big exit fees, big entry fees, high interest rates, trying to target 15% IRRs. Whereas we've come into the sector like others have, our rivals as such, and lowered those rates, removed the barriers, lowered the admin fees, taken away exit fees, and just offered a lot more transparency where others in the market weren't doing it. Quite honestly, they were taking advantage of borrowers Whereas now I think it's an incredibly competitive market, but that competition has made people innovate and bring down their costs and you can still run a commercially
1: successful lender without taking people's pants off essentially. Yeah, awesome. (laughs) You started in 2018. It's been a year and a half of being right at the coalface, going a thousand miles an hour, no doubt. Do you want to talk us through some of your key milestones and some of the things that really stick out when you think back over the last 18 months?
0: Yeah, sure. I think um, obviously it's flown by. Highs, lows, uh, mainly highs, but pretty eventful. I suppose, like any business, getting your first member of staff on board is always quite exciting. One or always staff, a team member is always fun because you want to make sure they're happy and trying to please them and then... I suppose starting from there, from building the desks, going all the way through and just getting involved from the nitty gritty. And I suppose our highlight was our first loan, getting that out the door was pretty exciting and nailing all the processes and actually hearing from the borrower how pleased they were with with what they got from us and the service they got and ultimately Mm -hmm. to acquire the asset they did. And then I think rolling on even further to when we were approached by Insight and Shawbrook with the funding line. Uh, Initially, it was through Shawbrook. And then uh, Insight came on later and that um, was quite a big milestone for us because in our market you have to have incredible governance and procedures to get a firm like that on board so they're happy with our underwriting and how we're operating as a business and to get that after nine months was was pretty cool, definitely mm. wasn't all me, we've got <laughs> great compliance guys, great finance guys and everything else so... It's all uh, all added up to, uh, really, it's the team that have got us to where we are today and uh, we built it out slowly, but I think the best people in their respective areas that we've got in now, leading all the way up to the point we're at now, we'll be regulated by the FCA shortly, probably by the time this podcast goes out, and which will mean we can look into doing homeowner mortgages and look at the retirement interest only sector or Rio mortgages, mm-hmm. and which is an area I passionately like, mainly due to my own mother was trying to release equity from her home and uh, some equity release sharks came around and didn't explain it. And it's quite, again, a sharkish product. So I passionately believe in an alternative for the older generation releasing equity from their, their properties.
1: Well, there's no uh, there's no driver like trying to get back at the people that screwed over your, <laughs> your family. I love that. So from building a team to doing your first loan, to getting the funding line sorted, and then to being FCA regulated to allow you to diversify across other products, all in 18 months. It's awesome. We're going to come back to the team part in a moment because... I'm a big believer in people being the foundations of every business and talent really being one of the hardest things to get right and nail on the head. Mm. You talked about your first loan. I've been involved with a number of different lending businesses previously, and we've looked at a lot of not dissimilar businesses How did you get that first loan done? Was it a case of just trying to push through and, you know, off your own balance sheet, get something done Mm. and cobble together the processes, do all the risk management via Excel? (laughs) And how did you put those those risk management processes in place?
0: Yeah, good question. It was a little bit like that. I suppose it goes to the old saying about being an entrepreneur is like jumping out of a plane and building your own parachute to stop you from hitting the ground is a little bit like that. I would love to say it was uh, all down to me, but again, it comes back to the team, the guys that we brought over were from rival firms who uh, had a lot more experience than I did in short-term lending. I was always a borrower, not a lender. So I could see it from my side, but when you flip that round, it becomes a totally different animal. So a lot of it was learning from their experiences and their processes and just adapting that into our business. And at the start, yeah, we we ran the whole loan book off Excel. We did all the uh, legal documents based off templates that lawyers had given us. So a lot of it, we were just leading by legal advice and previous experience. So yeah, our first loan was uh, was quite interesting, but it was all done correctly, and the process was in place, and yeah, and we funded it out of our uh, initial equity provider's backing. So we 100% wrote that loan. It was quite a cheap loan, because we wanted to get loans out the door and yeah, fill the book yeah. up, so I think it was about 0.59 a month, which uh, obviously for retail funds, it's wow. uh, still quite high, but uh, we did the loan in uh, a matter of days, which... Of course we can, because the way we're funded. And it didn't default. No, <laughs> such would. Uh, it's lovely desk. No default yet on the whole book, which is good. And we've churned over 60% of our original loans now. Um, Amazing. So, yeah, so far, it's like anything in lending. It's easy to get the money out the door, but it's very hard to get it back. Yeah. So we've been always mindful of that, right
1: from that initial first loan, as cheap as it was, all the way to, to where we are now. Very cool. And. Let's talk technology for a second, because I know you've built some proprietary CRM and introduced the type of software. What's your strategy? What are you doing? Who's helping you do it? And how's that changing your business?
0: So when we were setting the business up, we were told by a lot of people that you could run this business off a great system that's called Pipedrive, which is a well-known CRM system, and Excel. And then I thought, well, that's great, Pipedrive's nice, but it's not perfect for us. Great user interface, cheap, let's use that. But then we met a lot of our, I'd say, which are now competitors in the market that had software, and they all had the same problem. And then I thought, well, instead of in two years' time as paying a quarter of a million a year to license this software, why don't we spend a good amount of money off our own balance sheet and build it ourselves? So we own the IP, and then ultimately we can, we can license it out so we started that journey we got a a lady in the office a bulgarian lady who manages a team for us out of bulgaria building the software she was involved in building systems for UBS, and Warehouse, and several others. But a lot of the functionality was missing off these other systems. And in fact, one company that came in that um, might even be listening to this, they're a very large software provider in our market, but they had in the corner of the software pop-up Clippy from Microsoft 1996, I think, mm. uh, in the corner saying, do you need some help? And I think that gave us a pretty good idea as to what the short-term lending software market was like. There wasn't yeah, yeah. any product there that suited us and that we didn't want to be paying a fortune for in two, three years' time. So I thought, actually, let's build our own with a view to turning it into a SaaS system within two to three-year time frame. Alongside building it, learning it, and customizing it for our market. Okay. Um, and it's nearly there now. We're just about to transition over onto it. And it's been an interesting journey building our
1: own software. And so, when you say a SaaS product, you mean as in licensable to other people in your space?
0: Yeah, that's it. Because what exists at the moment is you'll pay quite a heavy upfront fee. Mm-hmm. You'll need someone to come to your office to talk you through it. And then, any additional bolt on you want to do to that will cost you tens of thousands to put on. Some of the options were like 50,000 for an update. So I thought, let's just remove all that. Come on, pay by user. If you want to upgrade it, you can upgrade. It won't cost you tens of thousands. And let's just make it easy to use. And we've done that. And so far, using it in-house, it's a, it's a great system. There's still a long way to go on it, and we've learned a lot, but it's an ever-evolving piece of software that we may never license it out, but for our business, operationally, it helps us. We can monitor risk better, we can monitor the portfolio, and it can give us early warnings to covenants and any restrictions we might have on our funding
1: lines, which Excel and obviously PipeDrive can't do. Yeah, maybe get ahead of your competition before you then give them the tools to (laughs) to be the competition. Um, Perfect segue into your long-term vision for the business, right? We were talking about aspirational-type companies before. You mentioned Octopus who are close friends of ours and and an amazing business. Tell us the sorts of things that you want Glenhawk to achieve. Yeah,
0: I think you mentioned Octopus there and they're a company I've admired for a long time. I think their service, their branding and what they've built from a funding model perspective in lender. It's very admirable. So yeah, I I admire those guys. I think for us, it's about short term lending is great. But as a value for a business, the book winds up very quickly. The average loan term we have is nine months, the average loan size is about 750,000 pounds. So it's high churn, it's a lot of loans, and it all comes back quite quickly. So there's not really a huge amount of value in the business there. Yeah. So in order to, to grow the group out, we have to look at diversifying, especially into the retirement interest only mortgage, which will give us a good 10, 20 year runway product when we team up with one of the big insurers to fund us on that. And I suppose really it's about just expanding into real estate, looking at where we can improve people's financing pinch points, any unique products we can put in there. We don't really want to go out there and do what everybody else is doing. We've always done something slightly differently in the business. Mm -hmm. And then once we've cracked real estate, look at other sectors. Can we improve consumer credit, for example? Can we help people renovate their homes without taking out a second charge mortgage, but a, a nice consumer credit product? Can we look at bundling that up onto a prepaid debit card that can be used at a builder's merchant, for example? <laughs> so there's a lot of value-added services we want to build into the group over the, mm-hmm. I'd say, five-year plan and ultimately hit our target loan book of 500 million within that five-year timeframe, which at the end of this year, we'll be up to just under 100 million on our, of live loans on our model. So I think it's achievable. But really for us, it's about making things better, being transparent with people and treating people fairly. We had some loans on the fairness point where the legal fees would come in slightly less on our side. And we'd refund the client the thousand mm-hmm. pounds. The client would say, why have you sent me back a thousand pounds? And I'm like, well, we don't want it. You have it. And just little things like that. Again, you can still run a commercially successful business by doing that rather mm-hmm. than just uh, keeping it for yourself and treating that as a profit centre. You can make it back up on repeat business. And I think that's where the group needs to go is just fairness, transparency and across the whole of financial services ultimately, but very cautious that don't want to run before we've walked properly. And obviously the regulated environment is going to bring its own challenges in the future.
1: I love the idea of transitioning or I should say expanding into consumer credit. If you think about protecting yourself from market volatility and down cycles, People are either buying houses or renovating houses. That smooths things out quite nicely. So it seems like a logical place to go. Mm. To get there, you're going to need great people. And it's one of the hardest things we find, particularly as a a private equity firm, when we're taking on new portfolio firms, assessing where the gaps are, finding great talent to plug those gaps, and preparing for the future as well, is is really, really difficult. And very few firms do it well. Your firm, I think, has grown to 25-ish people. Uh, and I saw in the notes that you even recruited from Shawbrook, who I think have provided <laughs> you a funding line, which, <laughs> is, which is an interesting strategy. Yeah. <laughs> but
0: I guess when you find good people, you just got to have them. You got to take them, yeah. 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 There's no, uh, no love lost there. I think they've got 700 odd employees, so hopefully they don't hate us too much for doing that. Yeah, 699. <laughs> yeah, and, exactly, and, uh, yeah,
1: So tell us, how are you finding great talent and what's giving you your edge in that space?
0: It's going to sound a huge cliche, but I think a lot of the team I brought in at the start have all been quite similar to me in a good way. (laughs) They all have their own unique skill set. And a lot of the hires that we've got, I've been on impulse. They've come in and within five minutes or even less, I've gone, I really like you, come in. Mm. And a lot of that has just been seat of the pants, gut feel, whatever you want to call it. There's just something about good people where you think, I trust you, you're going to get the work done, I'll give you a go. And 95% of the time it's worked well. We've let a couple of people go this year, but we've remained on good terms with them, which I think is always, always the way to do it. But really it's just been finding people who you can see are passionate about what we're doing, who have seen all the bad sides of our industry and who want to improve it as well. And it becomes infectious. Once you've got five people like that, it's easy to get to 10 people like that because you've got that underlying culture in the business that you're all here to have fun, but also work hard and treat people fairly. And Mm -hmm. recruitment has probably been one of our, I'm not a big fan of luck, you make your own luck, but it's been one of our easiest things to do by just getting the right people on and showing them where we want to go on the journey, rewarding them appropriately, putting good share schemes in place. So, when we do ultimately float, sell one day, whatever, all the employees win. And are you structured as a kind of partnership in that everyone has stock? Yeah, it's a limited company, but they have growth share options that we're just yeah. putting in place at the moment. So they can invest after a period of time, but then everybody wins when ultimately the founders or the investors win. Yeah. And I think that's a big driver in business these days is it yeah, shouldn't be about just the people at the top. It should be everybody sharing in, in all the hard work. Everyone in the company is working yeah. equally as hard as me. In fact, probably harder
1: than me. So they should share in it. I couldn't subscribe. To that anymore. I mean, you think about the original, which was the, the sort of John Lewis partnership model, and today you've got the WeWork type equivalents. How do you get people to get out of bed and come back for you as hard as you're batting for yourself every day? and people consistently underestimate how much time and money it takes to mm-hmm. keep people happy you know not necessarily on the binary compensation side of things but just creating an environment people want to be in where you can high five people over the winds and you can share a beer with them on a friday afternoon it's it's really really important yeah. when i say high-fiving i don't mean bell ringing yeah we've <laughs> well,
0: got a bell well, it's just a little <laughs> hotel reception bell for when we do a deal but i agree i think um a lot of that We've tried to instill in the business from the start. I'm quite conscious as you can't really create culture when you've got a thousand staff. You have to do it when you've got 25. uh, Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's too late. It has to Mm -hmm. be infectious and spread. And just little things like we—I got the idea from the FT a few years ago of giving unlimited holiday to the team, and we put that in place so people can take as much time off as they want. And put that in place here, and it it works so far. I think. Yeah, they don't take any (laughs) holiday. Yeah, exactly but then you you see a clear pattern of people that do take a lot of time off and then there's people that our HR system says they're they're underperforming on their holiday time Mm. and you think that's good because you're giving them a a lot of rope there uh, enough to almost hang themselves on and they don't take the the piss is such another yeah, word. Yeah, yeah. Four, I will take the mic. And that's interesting. Putting that in place
1: was, was quite cool. I'm a big believer in work-life integration. And a lot of people aren't, right? If you want to do a nine-to-five job, great. Just don't come work here or with me because I'm a big believer in kind of infusing the two. And if you create... A fun environment where you're good people trying to do good things it's very very doable Mm. and the unlimited paid time off piece does exactly that it's yeah go take a four-week holiday if you like but just take your laptop with you Mm. and and be available it works really really well it's not for every company it's not for everyone but i think where you can do it it works when running a, a lending business particularly one that's about to be fca regulated governance is critical Okay, we, we run a heavily regulated business here. It's, it's the first thing we think about when we get up. It's the first thing we think about when we go to bed. It sounds like you've got great processes in place, certainly for a young business around the risk management stuff. You're taking the technology very seriously. What sort of advice are you getting? Have you structured a board? I know that... Harry was a critical part of the the founding of the business. How does he play into it?
0: Yeah, So I think for, for a small company, as you rightly say, we've taken governance quite seriously from the start, or extremely seriously, even though we do unregulated loans at the moment, which is to non-homeowners or for investment purposes. So Harry coming on board brought his experience of being CEO of Countrywide PLC for 15 years. So he ran a FTSE-listed company. He knows the experience, the board meetings that goes into that. So even now we have board meetings, obviously, every month. We have risk management committees, enterprise risk, credit committees, and we've gone really overboard on managing the book and the business. But I think having that in place has really benefited us from a funding aspect. The approaches that we get every few weeks or months Mm. from venture firms, private equity that want to to grow with us and build a business out is testament to that. Because as soon as they see we've got the compliance function in place, it's almost the biggest risk is ticked off. But our compliance guy, we got him from a, he was from a doorstep lender. And obviously doorstep lending in the UK is becoming heavily regulated. And he had a team of 20 or 30 sitting underneath him. So to go from that environment, home collect credit to, to our market is quite easy for him. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's no real huge task that overwhelms him. He's incredibly good at that. But then we're bringing on people who have even more experience in financial services. So we're just appointed now as non-exec. A lady called Caroline Ong. She used to be CEO of Pamplona Credit Fund. Mm-hmm. And they have about $5 billion under management. She was there for, I think, about 10 years. And she's just joined to advise us on our growth and get us to where some of the lenders that they backed, where they're up to. Some have got three, $400 million pound loan books now. So she's been on that journey. So again, she can advise. Very experienced lady. Been in the city a long time. Mm-hmm. And I think... Just building that whole governance up for us has been good for me as well because Mm -hmm. I know what I'm good at and there's a lot of things I'm I'm rubbish at. Like a lot of people might not have met themselves, but there's some things people aren't good at. And for me, delegating that out, whether it's the credit meetings or the risk, has been so important because it's areas that I might not have covered off before, which these, again, the team come in and and cap them off for me yeah. and then we limit our risk and our, obviously our potential downside as well
1: awesome it's good to hear a, a ceo and founder who knows how to play the orchestra you don't need <laughs> try, to be all try. things to all people you, you <laughs> yeah. definitely don't no one gets happy exactly you mentioned venture capital and private equity how did you finance the business to get going in the first place was that something you and Harry did personally and part two to that question is would you take on further external capital
0: So at the start, it was my uh, capital to get it going, just doing the basics, getting the operational side of the business set up. And then very quickly, obviously, it's a capital intensive business to to get up and running with Mm -hmm. the team and getting the loan book on board and funding the loans. I brought on a good friend of mine, an investor, private guy, who I'd known for about three or four years, showed him where we wanted to take it. I'd done some property projects with him before on my development side where We'd flipped a few development sites in central London and done a few good property trades, and he was happy with how things were going. And I went to him with the idea of the lender, and uh, he said, yeah, I like it. I like the model and the way it can be done, and I keep hearing a lot about it from his advisors at all the big investment banks that mm-hmm. it's quite an interesting market, the alternative finance sector. And he very kindly backed us, and to this day has backed us, and continues to do so. And on your second point, the um, taking on... External funding, I think at the moment we're raising another senior funding line, which will be from a high street bank, which is obviously cheaper rates, higher quantum we can get to, and then we can look
1: at the retirement products as well. Our listeners are a pretty broad demographic. Some of them are investors, some of them Mm. operators, some of them entrepreneurs. We always like to ask a question uh, or two on leadership. And perhaps you can tell us some of the biggest lessons you've learned on this journey so far. Yeah, What have been the learning curves for you? That's a tough one. (laughs) I suppose... Every day
0: you learn something. Yeah. And a big believer is you don't win or lose, you win or learn in yeah. life and in the business. It's it's tough. Every day something pops up. And there's been some incredibly steep learning curves from getting the wrong employee on board, for example, who initially you thought was phenomenal and then you might be proven wrong, or a deal might go sour, or you give too much leeway to a borrower because they're late on a payment and ultimately it affects your, your funding line, or there's certain things where you look back and you think. There's been some incredible lessons there. And I think it's every single day you learn. There's probably never been one pivotal moment where I've thought, oh, that was a massive, massive yeah. point. It's always, I find a lot of the, the challenges in the business are with the people and getting most out of people is, and seeing them grow, I find it a really big challenge for myself because I think ultimately I'm doing this business to, to help people grow on a personal level. Yeah. And I want to make sure everybody's challenged. And sometimes you see people that might not be, fully optimized and you think right, how can I help them improve mm-hmm. and you worry about yeah. it and you think right what can I do better and I suppose ultimately all the worry comes back and the lessons onto yourself as to what you can learn from them but I think anyone that's coming to the business I've learned off them and I think that's the way it is you delegate out your weaknesses and bring in the best possible people but I suppose from a lesson for business and maybe life is that a situation is never as bad and never as good as you think it's going to be so as long as you adopt that mindset of not expecting the absolute best and the absolute worst and then you develop this almost realistic optimist sort of mindset then that's the best way to run a business and then you sort of mitigate out any of those extreme highs and lows so yeah I'd say that's my biggest lesson that I've had.
1: Great lessons for leadership and we've done a couple podcasts today and one with the Lord Mayor and he he talked about exactly that win or learn Mm. I think he called it success or learn and then the other piece with one of our partners who works on the capital raising side who talked a lot about optimism and, mm-hmm. and momentum yeah. and it's it's essential right you, you've got to you've got to stay positive and keep pushing forwards and then to your point, it's never as bad or n- never as good as you think it is. It's yeah, never a good day, never a bad day or something <laughs> one of my colleagues told me early on. And I think if I didn't know that, mm. I'd have a lot more gray hair. Cause <laughs> you, you just learn to be resilient and uh, and to keep pushing forwards. That's a really a perfect word, I think, for a business in its first couple
0: of years of growth is just resilience. It's mm-hmm. just getting up the next day when you've been knocked down. I will say when you get fall off the horse, get back on it. Yeah. Just keep pushing and keep going and then the sun will come out again even though it's pouring with rain today but yeah, you're know, like one day in London, it, it gets better again so yeah. you just keep your head up and then optimism as well I think again on the team side is is, is huge you have to have that positivity about you if you're always picking up on the negative aspects then it's toxic and just brings the business down yeah whereas if you're all hoping for the best wishing for the best then
1: yeah. as long as you're not too overly optimistic then that's the right mindset i think to have i'm a big fan of quotes and i've got a terrible memory so i can only remember a few of them but the first one the henry ford one i love is whether you believe you can or you can't you'll always be right yeah that's true. Yep. which is a great one and then one i can't remember who said it but happiness is not the absence of problems but the ability to deal with them and i think that is particularly true as well Mm. for entrepreneurs and it it can often be the differentiator between a good entrepreneur and and someone who's just muddling through. That's it and
0: I think if you don't have any problems in business then you're doing something wrong you're not Mm. disrupting or you're not making progress you've got to be making mistakes learning solving problems and if you sat there cruising along then someone else somewhere else Mm.
1: another office is going to be beating you so. It's a lonely business right being an entrepreneur you're you're at the top of the pyramid making decisions that affect a lot of people how how are you combating that loneliness who are you spending time with? who do you confide in is it Harry is it
0: yeah it's a really uh, yeah quite a, a good personal question i think because um Sorry you're right I mean, you, dig too deep <laughs> no it's very deep uh,
1: how lonely are you
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly which dating site now <laughs> um, i mean you've had this yourself sam it is very isolating but you have to have something that takes your mind off it whether it's for me quite bizarrely i like building lego um, it sounds okay. quite a mad admission but it ta- it's a process and it takes your mind off everything that's happened in the day and you have to have something that disconnects you from the reality of the business environment. Otherwise, you I drive my fiance mad, I drive all my friends mad, and you can't turn to anything toxic, whether it's drugs, alcohol, or anything like that. It has to be something that still gives you that enjoyment, but away from work. And... I think, again, coming back to when you have those tough days, it's just realizing that the next day isn't that bad. And whether I speak to, to Harry sometimes in a board meeting or my dad's pretty good, actually. My dad's a pretty straight talking guy from the north of England. So he usually just cuts through the BS and just says, oh, have you thought about that, thought about that? And you think, actually, you know what? It's that, again, it's that age brings experience and it's nice to draw on that. But even anybody in the company, I mean, on a table full of girls and um, there's a lot of times where they see I might be having a bad situation or come out of a bad meeting or I'll be thinking deeply about a problem and they'll support me and a lot of it is surrounded by those people that can just pick you up when they see you're down and
1: Well I'm being transparent about feeling down I guess and being mm-hmm. able to share that bottling it up it just keeps the pressure on your shoulders Yeah and
0: it's getting more and more okay to do that these days to, to let it out as such mm-hmm. and not have a cry on someone's shoulder but just to say yeah it's been a tough day yeah but a new day tomorrow and just talk to someone about it and it's okay to be like that no one's made of steel no one's invincible everybody's got their weaknesses I think and sometimes you've got to, got to let it go.
1: Yeah, totally agree with you. Right, as an entrepreneur, you're going a 1,000 miles an hour all the time. Uh, just from this short conversation, I can already tell how reflective you are and thoughtful, which is an amazing quality to have when you're going at that pace. How do you structure your day to get the most out of it? Are there little tips and tricks that you have in there? I walk into the office and out every day. So that's
0: about a six-mile round trip. Which just gives me time to, I take a long detour through the park, don't look at my phone, try not to listen to music, yeah, I just, I walk along and I just, it sounds really hippie, but I just look up at the trees, you listen to the birds, you feel your footsteps, you almost become a little bit mindful and you think, okay, what am I going to solve today, what do I want to achieve, and it's almost a zen-like quietness that during the day you don't get, I mean, you know what it's like, Sam, where you're just being pulled in 100 directions and you get to the end of the day and your mind's frazzled, you can't think straight and you think, oh, wow, what's happened? And just to walk through the park just relieves all of that. And for me, it's a, it's a good way of just chilling out. I love um, that. When it's raining, it's not ideal, but...
1: <laughs> which, which, which park
0: is it? Uh, through Hyde Park. So um, yeah. if you're walking through Hyde Park at 6.30, most mornings you'll see me wandering through. We should, we should walk together. <laughs> yeah, I like that. that's it. I like that. walk and talk. I was reading a yeah. good book actually uh, recently. It's called The Trillion Dollar Coach. Okay. can't remember the guy's name, but he essentially trained Tim Cookup, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, and they always used to go on long walks with him. And they did their best thinking when they were walking and talking. Yeah. That's where I sort of started to develop the idea of your mind works better when you're out in the outdoors rather yeah, yeah, yeah. than being sat behind a desk having a conversation in a board meeting or something yeah. but and then I suppose during the day it's just keeping active I've got a stand-up desk which is a real cliche these days for yeah. like finance or tech but I find that just gives you a bit of energy makes you think clearer and just breaks the day up a bit
1: you need to put a running machine underneath your, that's the next uh, step this.
0: yeah well usually I've got Ella's dog trying to bite my ankles under the desk. Yeah, <laughs>
1: Very cool. Now I'm a big believer in, in the outdoors helping free the mind and find inspiration. And part of the reason we chose this office is because we wanted a balcony with a river view. Mm. And granted, nine days out of 10, it, the weather sucks. But yeah, it really does make a difference. And I think, yeah, you know, I speak to, in fact, we have a lending business in this office and, and the CEO is a big practitioner and believer in meditation, which mm-hmm. I, I subscribe to philosophically. I've not yet got myself to actually do it. <laughs> uh, I think there's a bit of a learning process there, but it's, it's something that many, many top business leaders do. And I think in the the world today you know these things are phones mm. there's so many different mediums and, and ways for people to contact you the anxiety just creeps in every day you see your inbox filtering out you've got hundreds of notifications it's it's important just to unwind
0: you're almost too connected these days and i got one of these these days you call them dumb phones but in my era you'd have called them like a nokia 3210 which just has no functionality on it and some days i'll just divert my, all my calls to that and i can't get whatsapps on it i can't get emails on it just Genius. phone calls So divert it off my iPhone, leave the office, go for a walk. If someone really wants me, they can call me in an emergency. It's just a nice way to cut out all of the hassle and all the noise and Sky News alerts and Brexit rubbish and
1: everything that's going on in the world. So I need more of that. Very cool. Right, we're getting towards the end. Some of the questions I always ask, who have been... Some of your role models, we all have them. And it's critically important, I think, to, to glean from other people's experience. And in some respects, help them do that in reverse and do mm. the reverse mentoring stuff. But who have been yours?
0: I suppose, aside from all the usual like, inspirational business leaders that you read books of and and gain tips from from those guys of their journeys but I think the people we had in the business in the early days that took that risk to come on board and were mad enough to join me and had the belief that it might work leaving stable jobs coming to work for a a guy that they uh, they'd only known for a few months I think that to me was a hell of a risk to take and they were just natural risk takers doing that and it came through and obviously they're still with us now I think for me that was quite quite inspirational that there were people out there willing to, to take that risk. And the people that came on in the early days that worked tirelessly to get all our processes and systems in place from day one, it was only three of us essentially on day one. And uh, I think those guys were pretty big inspiration for me,
1: Nick and Annabelle, and then the rest of the team that came in. That's a really nice way to answer the question, not one I've heard before. We're going to wrap it up. Before we do, want to say thank you to Richard Gottler for uh, connecting us. Richard runs your uh, PR and communications. If this doesn't become the most listened to episode we've ever done, if it doesn't beat the chairman of Microsoft, if it doesn't beat <laughs> the prime minister of Australia, we know who to blame. That's a lot of pressure. but <laughs> Awesome. Thank you so much. Real pleasure to meet yeah. you. Thanks for having me, Sam. Thank you for your time and insights. And thank you very much for tuning in. I'm Sam. See you next time.
2: obligation to update, amend, or clarify the information in the podcast, whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise. Any securities, transactions, or holdings discussed may not represent investments made by motive partners. It should not be assumed that securities, transactions, or holdings discussed, if any, were or will be profitable, or that the recommendations or decisions made in the future will be similar or will equal the performance of the securities, transactions, or holdings discussed herein. This podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are based on beliefs, assumptions, current expectations, estimates, and predictions about the financial industry, the economy, motive partners, or motive partners' investments. Nothing in the podcast should be construed or relied upon as investment, legal, accounting, tax or other professional advice or in connection with any offer or sale of securities.